show coming up i don't know why though just trying to get in the zone i'm dooner that's the dude this is what the truck we are a tv show and podcast that airs three times a week live at noon eastern time and also video on demand podcast players everywhere how you doing i'm doing great man good wednesday afternoon everybody from freight alley a little chilly this morning man so did you stay up watching the uh the world um, series yeah no i mean the Sox got knocked out so yeah. it's hard to watch it i can't just pretend to be a braves fan yeah and get into it that way yeah no i get it if the indians got knocked out i wouldn't continue to watch but i did it's unfortunate that atlanta didn't win it in uh in in five games because uh you know now that it took six their rings won't aren't going to make it through the supply chain for the beginning of next year is it and cbp might seize them if they're fake that's right you <laughs> see all those different <laughs> ones <laughs> <laughs> hey, folks, we got a big show today. We're going to be talking to the group that moves the wall that heals. We'll be talking about the logistics that go into that. Um, also, Razor International at International just gave it some automated landing gear. So we'll find out all about that. We're going to be talking to Chris Ahrens. He's from Logson Advisors. He's going to set us straight on all his MMA. MMA, not MMA. MMA. That was the jiu-jitsu guy from Ship Hero who was doing the MMA. We'll talk to him about what's going on in MMA. We got Adam Ruff from DHL Supply Chain Solutions talking about the uh, advantage of managed solutions. But coming up in just a second after we tip the band, it's going to be Matt Schrapp from the uh, Harbor Truckers Association. Yeah. So let's tip the band, if I can scroll down over here. Let's here we do go. It, Redwood, a leading logistics platform company, has provided solutions for moving and managing freight for more than 20 years. The company's diverse portfolio includes digital freight brokerage, flexible freight management, and innovative platform services such as LPAS and Redwood Connect that fill the gaps between logistics and technology. Contact Redwood at Tell them, dude. Hey, go to redwoodlogistics.com right after the show. All right, let's bring him up. Let's He's the it. man of the hour. Matt, how are you? Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, guys, how are you? We, uh, you and I have been talking a lot on Twitter recently because there's been so much going on. There's been, you know, every time the ATA puts out a survey about driver shortages, you know, there, there needs to, the record has to be set straight and, and all sort of things. But maybe you can help us do that today. So, first of all, introduce yourself. What does what is, what is your organization do? Sure. My, my name is Matt Shrive. I'm the CEO of the Harvard Trucking Association, and we are a nonprofit association that represents intermodal drage carriers here on the West Coast. We have uh, just over a couple hundred trucking companies operating in several thousand vehicles here in marine terminals, again, primarily here on the West Coast. So we're right in the thick of things, to say the least. Yeah, you definitely are. I mean, we've got a major thing that's going on here. One of the interesting things that I always hear is, is the people saying, uh, you know, unnamed person, right? Yeah. They, they want to be unnamed because of fear of retribution. What, right. what type of retribution are we talking about? Getting turned away after six hours in line or... <laughs> well, right. You never know. I think, you know, it's like how much, how much worse could it get? And I guess it's just a function of, you know, the concept of you thought it's bad now, wait till the government gets involved. But uh. I really think that, you know, trucking companies are fearful of getting too far ahead of things because we're reliant on the marine terminals. We're reliant on the ocean carriers for, you know, entertaining our per diem challenges that we have. And, you know, if you're out there too far in front of this and, and giving them too much flack, if you will, then potentially, yeah, there's there's always that concern that it'll come back to bite you at some point in time. What is going on at these supply chain task force meetings? Because 
you look at the participants who are there. They're they're major retailers. They're 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 yeah. the ports, but you're not seeing a ton of representation from a lot of the people who are getting crushed in this situation here. And then the results of what they have come up with so far were 24/7 ports, which never really happened. They're not 24/7. And now this this container fee that's being passed through to shippers and especially shippers that don't have strongly leveraged contracts, uh, not those people who were in the supply chain task force room talking about it. What's going on with that situation? How much more difficult is that going to make the job of port truckers? Well, I'll tell you, you know, we're, we want to move the freight. I think that everybody who's in the industry knows that drivers want to drive. And we're, the issue is now is productivity and specifically our inability to return empty containers back into the marine terminals in order to free up chassis to pull the imports off the dock. It's something that we've been saying to whoever will listen, whether it's the FMC, whether it's the White House, Port Envoy, John Picari, whether it's the ports, marine terminals, our fellow trucking association partners. It's something that, again, has been near and dear to our hearts, especially because we're holding on to thousands of empty containers that are being assigned per diem every single day by the ocean carriers. And these conversations, I think, have been productive insofar as finally now the ocean carriers have come to the table and have been willing to at least entertain looking at sweeper ship dispatch, looking at some other potential uh, you know, loosening of appointment restrictions through their marine terminal partners. So it, it's working slightly. But yeah, the 24-7 gates, obviously, I think that that was just a shot across the bow. We all know those who work down here, they are not 24-7. Longshore work can work the rail uh, 24-7, but the gates are not operating 24-7. That, that's, that is a myth. Yeah. So, Matt, let's talk about the guys that are getting hurt here, the guys that you're representing and working for that are getting hurt here. We talk about the smaller shippers that don't have the contracts that keep the fees away from hitting those guys. Let's talk about the guys we're seeing in this video right here and, and what they're getting. I thought it was interesting when I, I, I posed the question, how big is the average Dre company? Nobody around here really actually knew. You, you know, you, you, you said there's somewhere 1,200 trucking firms. You got responses from like 50 that uh, 7,100 chassis. How big or how small are these guys? And, and let's talk about these guys getting hurt. What's, what's going on there? Right. It, it runs the gamut, right? I mean, the majority of the truck outfits down there are single truck owner operators, but then they're dispatched by overlying motor carriers that, as you pointed to, or, you know, dude, are 1,200. The average size is hard to pin down, to be honest. I mean, it ranges from the asset base versus the non-asset base. You have, of course, the large national motor carriers, along with some of those, you know, traditional quote unquote mom and pop shops that have five to 10 trucks, perhaps that they're dispatching under their, their SCAC code or that they own themselves. So it ranges. Our membership ranges from literally the one truck licensed motor carrier all the way up to those large national carriers. And everybody's in the same boat. And a lot of it has to do with this challenges with these empty containers. And the fee is unfortunately not necessarily set up to prevent ocean carriers from charging those BCOs that you talked about. And subsequently the potential, the trucking company exposure as well. So initially it was another shot across the bow to the ocean carriers to say, you need to get engaged, get this cargo off dock, uh, we still don't have a specific number of what is carrier versus merchant haulage uh, on those containers that are dwelling over nine days that are destined for local truck moves. But either way, they would need to move the needle somehow. We're just hoping and wishing and praying that it has to do with something with the empty containers sooner than later. We, you know, as you alluded to, we got, you know, we got 9,000 empty containers just from 50 trucking companies. 
that's a lot of containers. And out of the 1,200 that do business down there, I mean, you know, I like to say, you know, extrapolate that, see what that number might actually represent. We continue to do surveys, but, you know, these empty containers, they're the bane of our existence at this point. Well, and it seems like it's something politicians don't want to talk about. And you, when you look at the messaging, especially from the White House, they always lead with exports. Like we're exporting a lot of stuff like like air isn't our number one export. So is talking about empties and shipping out containers with no goods in them a challenging topic for a politician to take on? It doesn't seem like something that they would want to touch in that position. I think that we're seeing the, uh, yeah. the results of that. Yeah, I, I would agree, Dooner. I mean, you don't make money for the steamship lines on shipping empty containers. And, you know, our number one export here in California is scrap metal. So we send back recycling, recyclable paper, trash in some instances, animal hides. Obviously, we do send back uh, agricultural goods, but that is less of what our total amount of exports is. You alluded to it earlier, you know, we ship out air. And so for politicians, it's hard to, I guess, frame the issue for the American public, the American consumer in saying, well, yeah, we import a bunch of stuff and we just send back empty containers that are so they can fill them up again to send them back over or we fill them up with our trash to send back over for them to process so they can send us back over more goods. It's a tough message to sell for sure. Uh, it, the breadbasket of America is right here in California in the Central Valley. And some of these exporters are struggling with even finding containers. Even though we're drowning in them, it's really up to the ocean carriers to allocate those containers back to those exporters and especially decide where these vessel allocations are going to be sent to, specifically Oakland, who's our main export ag export port. Uh, and again, down here in the LA Long Beach, we're, we're sending out air and trash is, is what we're sending. Matt, I was watching that clip of uh, Gene Soroka, Port of LA director on Squawk Box yesterday. Yeah. And, and um, I think Becky was a little upset her, her, her child didn't get their Halloween costume. And, and George was giving her this this lip service about how there's some freight that needs to be where it needs to go now. It doesn't need to go where it needs to go. So you have to prioritize what cargo you're pulling out there. Mm -hmm. But that makes this assumption that, that retailers don't want this heavily delayed cargo. They just want it to sit there. And that's the messaging they're putting out. But all the retailers I've talked to say that couldn't be further from the truth. How is what he's saying make any sense? Well, you know, Gene, I'll give him credit for being, you know, very deeply engaged in the issues. And the ports have a challenge because they can't really call out their own customers, that being the marine terminals or the ocean carriers. And it makes sense from a perspective that, you know, yeah, there are some big box retailers that get 30 days of free storage on dock. But I agree with you. Every retailer or organization that I speak to, it is ludicrous to think that they want to leave goods on the dock. The only reason why they're not moving out, especially on the merchant haulage side, is that either it's in a closed area, they can't locate the container, or more often than not, we can't get an appointment to return the empty container to flip off so we can get that chassis freed up to pull that import off. So it's not as easy as just, well, people are just leaving goods on dock. That is, couldn't be further from the truth. We're trying to move this, this, these goods and, you know, we're precluded by these over-restrictive appointment systems and the empty allocations that the ocean carriers allow for the marine terminal offers, operators, not to mention just a sheer amount of space or lack thereof, really, I think. 
Matt, I have one last question for you, and it's it's solution-based. Would a dual exchange program work? Is that just impossible to institute with the the structure of the ports and terminals right now? Because it seems like if you prioritize bringing uh, an empty in to bring a container out, that should be put at the, at the front of the line, right? If that's really the issue and if that's really what we're trying to solve. Yeah, dual transactions are the most efficient way to do business. That's what we, you know, that's how you make those round trick round trip economics, as Gene Sirocco likes to call them. Uh, the problem is, is that the marine terminals aren't accepting the empty containers because the ocean carriers either tell them not to because of allocations where they won't, you know, they're not going to pick up that blue or green or purple container. And you look around your yard and all you have is yellow, red and white. Yeah. If they're not accepting that color container, then you're not getting in. And each terminal is different, you know, not one are alike, not one is alike, no two are the same. And so they each have their own different quirky things that you need to adhere to in order to just get in in the first place. Uh, there's bobtail restrictions. Obviously, this chassis uh, challenge because they're sitting under empty containers has been exacerbated by the fact that they will not accept the empty containers. So, yes, dual transactions are where it's at. But if they're not taking your empty, then you're not getting in. That's kind of the problem. Yeah, it is. And isn't part of the problem? Now, Clarissa Hawes had an article today, right? And part of that was that uh, what, what she was exposing, there was that uh, there's like 800 of, this, of the containers were dropped at a, a, different, a different port, which screws up the, all, everything, right? It's bringing it back, but bringing it in and screws up the drayage companies who can't afford to then now travel that mm -hmm. far to go pick those things up. Is that something that is new now, or is that something that is just exacerbated because of this problem and it's always been in there? You know, it, it's kind of both. I think there's always a little bit of misdrops that, that happen. But yeah, just the sheer volume that we're dealing with right now is just supercharged it to say to say the least and and it's always looked back to the trucking company to try to figure it out again we're a can-do kind of industry but we can only absorb so many costs so those things need to be passed on to the bcos which eventually will get passed on to the american consumer adding to the additional inflationary pressures that we're already experiencing right now so i think it's a you know a little bit of of both of those things dude that uh, unfortunately this stuff has been going on for years it's just right now it's all boiled up to the surface because everyone was staying at home, you know, pointing and clicking when they couldn't go out to their favorite restaurant. So, you know, hopefully we're going to see some little bit of relief. We'll see some empty termination yards, official empty termination yards. We'll see some sweeper vessels coming in. We'll see some reform in the appointment system. We'll see just a continued national spotlight on the supply chain because, you know, as the old saying goes, right, you got it, a truck brought it. The supply chain is made up of many nodes, but probably the most critical node is the trucking portion. Mm -hmm. And the more people that understand that, I think the better off we'll be in the long run because these issues will come to light. And hopefully our elected officials and you know bureaucratic representatives will start recognizing that and then start allocating resources to infrastructure like truck parking and things of this nature that are just mm -hmm. going to help the industry along. It's we again, it's not a driver shortage. We this has been perpetuated by organizations and especially here locally, you know, we just need to take care of the drivers. It's a productivity issue at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, especially at the ports. And I love when people try to use over-the-road numbers to try to describe right. the ports and they think, oh, I've solved the problem. You read so many mainstream sure. articles that way. Not even just mainstream. There's some trades that love to beat that drum, too. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, how many long lines do we have to show at Maha Terminal in New York, New Jersey, or here at the Port of L.A. for yeah. people to really get it? Now, before I let you go, this news just came out. CMA CGM Group, they have picked up their full stake in FMS Terminal in Los Angeles for $2.3 billion. 
Is this going to be good or bad for truckers and shippers? Consolidation of power can be tough. We know back in the old days, the steamship lines used to own all the marine terminals, right? They own the chassis, they own the boxes. So the alliances are what the problem is. If they're still, you know, servicing several different lines where trucking companies are now still going from terminal to terminal to pick up and drop off empties or, you know, pick up loaded, then we're not going to see a major difference. And, you know, they, those steamship lines got to do something with all that money that they're making. Right. So I guess in the sense of trying to keep it more vertically integrated, hopefully it'll help with efficiency. You can get straight to the source, so to speak, because the ocean carriers are the ones who are driving all of this, no doubt about it. And they're making, again, billions of dollars in profit off of these opportunities, you know, more money than they've ever made in the history of their corporations. I think Maersk clocked about 5.5 billion in the last quarter alone, which is better than their best year ever. Well, yeah, so, it was like 0. Yeah. 0.8 billion, Matt. I think it was like 0. 0.8 billion. And I think there was like something like 4.8 or 5.4 billion. Either way, it was, yeah. they had a zero there and now they have a full number in that, yeah, in that first digit. Matt, thank you so much for your time. Everybody check out the Harbor Thanks, Trucking Matt. Association. Matt, we'll have you back on soon because this is obviously a developing issue. And Michael Vincent, we're at like 77 ships still at containers. So all it these measures insane. they're at, at yeah. anchor, not yeah. really working yet. Mm-mm. Matt, thanks. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, guys. Have a great day. Man, you know what would really help right now? Some managed transportation solutions. Let's talk to Adam Ruff, VP of Business Development and Transportation Solutions at DHL Supply Chain. He is a former, well, not I guess not a former. You're always an alumni. He's a Wake Forest Stephen Deacon alum who shares uh, Chris Paul, Tim Duncan, Muggsy Bogues, and uh, put a little lemonade, put a little iced tea, and you got an Arnold Palmer. Here he is. Adam, thanks for joining us today. All right. Hey, guys. Yeah, it's uh, exciting news to be in a Wake Forest alumni top 10 football. That happens about every 20 years. So uh, <laughs> I'm just I'm just relishing it right now. It's well, a hey, long, long cycle. Yeah, man. Over at DHL, you handle the LLP, which is sort of like your managed transportation solutions. Um, Before we get into it, what is an LLP in your own words, though? Yeah, so uh, LLP is our term for lead logistics partner. And, uh, you know, otherwise known in the industry as fourth party logistics provider or 4PL, you know, we act as an agent on behalf of our clients looking out for their best interests uh, and really almost being like a fiduciary for them for supply chain matters. Yeah. So, uh, listen, we're, we're getting closer and closer to Thanksgiving, right? And we got to we sit down and eat that turkey and gorge ourselves on all the freight that's coming yeah. in here. We got to be thankful for things. What should we be thankful for in the LLP? Yeah, I think, you know, being an LLP provider, it's really about providing value to to your end client. And there's a number of different ways that 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 can take place and our, our clients can be thankful for. Um, you know, those include really providing a compliance solution to, so they meet all the regulatory uh, and internal requirements they have, standardizing their, uh, th- their way of working, their supply chain processes, uh, improving their service uh, offer, both to internal and external customers, um, really focusing on supply chain visibility. And lastly, I and mean, most importantly, is driving business value with uh, efficient cost and uh, continued cost savings throughout the life of the uh, relationship with that client. Adam, let's drill a little deeper. We hear the terms visibility and value so often that you know they 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 lose a little impact. So, do you have a, an example of the, the value in the solutions that you bring? Yeah, you know, I think when we when we talk about visibility and and value, it's about 
looking at a client's network and giving them that digital interface that we provide through a tool called My Supply Chain that allows them and their end customer to understand, uh, you know, where their freight is in transit, how they can use that to help their customers in terms of improving their on-time and full. Um, if it's going into a manufacturing plant, really uh, helping helping their production scheduling teams understand when that when those materials and parts are going to be there, so that they've got efficient. Uh, production within their, uh, within their facilities. Yeah. So Adam, you know, along with all the difficulties that we're having the uncertainty with, uh, the, the supply chains, there's also the geopolitical and the trade relations that are uncertain as well. How can LLP help with those type of situations? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things that, um, we see our customers looking for and in the marketplace in general is looking at your network and, uh, performing what we call risk incident monitoring. So looking at all the nodes and lanes within your network, um, understanding potential impacts to uh, either a supply base or let's say a shipment in transit, and then working on con- working and putting in place contingency plans that allow uh, our shippers uh, to react and really uh, compensate for any supply chain risk it's, incidents that are out there in the network. So that's something that uh, really the last three years has become extremely important. And, and frankly, the, within the last two years, with all the disruptions in the supply chain, you know, having, having a global control tower network that is able to implement these contingencies uh, is very important. Well, Adam, a couple of things. Where can people go to learn more? And also, who should be going to learn more? Is there a particular client model that, that fits perfectly into what you guys are offering here, or is it really broad? Yeah, I think, I think it fits well with clients that, that do have a global footprint um, that are looking to improve their service levels, their cost basis, um, both, you know, manufacturers uh, and, you know, uh, companies with with large supply chains. And to find us, go to dhl.com backslash supply chain. Hey, Adam, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, go Demon Deacons, right? Thank you. Absolutely. Have a great day, guys. Take it easy. All right. Hey, you know, CMACGM, mergers and acquisition, yeah. big CMACGM actually bought a port because they got so much money. Ship here was on. They <laughs> did a big purchase. Money somewhere, right? Jet McCandless from Project 44. He's on Insiders tomorrow. They've been doing a lot of M&A. Ooh, right on tomorrow. M&A all, all over right. the place. Yeah. All M&A over the everywhere. place. So let's M&A talk to Chris Ahrens, managing partner at Logston Advisors, to see what's going on in that space, why it's so hot, knowing your value, and all of that kind of stuff. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Look forward to the discussion. It's uh, no, uh, it's, <laughs> it, it's easy to stay awake this year, right? With all the activity going mm-hmm. on, you must be incredibly busy wrapping your head around it. Um, let's start though, for those who may not be familiar, what is, what's Logsyn Advisors and, and how do you help your clients? Uh, Logsyn is focused on mergers and acquisitions in the logistics space. So, you know, we're a pretty, you know, fast growing team. We've been doing it for a long time. My background is in technology originally but we've we as a company we focus on freight forwarders customs house brokers trucking companies e-commerce companies we have a wide network of private equity and strategic buyers globally and you know we help bring the right companies together to grow through acquisition hey what do you think of uh, american eagle out outfitters acquiring quiet logistics uh, just this week uh, it, uh, do you do you see more retailers buying logistics companies to help manage operations 
Yeah, it's fascinating, right? So you have you have a lot of a lot of the non-traditional buyer network, you're going to see a lot of that kind of activity. People looking to control their supply chain, you know, you're the gentleman that was on earlier a couple of segments ago, you know, really talking about, you know, how you fix kind of some of these problems and the steamship lines, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think uh, you're going to see some kind of acquisitions that you haven't seen before, not just traditional private equity and, you know, strategic buyers going down. I think that kind of activity is going to continue. Um, you know, the other thing that was interesting, though, is you were kind of talking about acquisitions earlier is the, uh, you know, incentives control behavior. So so we'll see how, you know, how they try to fix those issues through acquisition or if it just exasperates the problem a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the M&A ab- absolutely uh shot through the moon because of the mm-hmm. pandemic, right? It yeah. just, it went crazy with all the logistics that's going on there. And like you're talking about here, the, the, the ship here, the American, all that type of stuff. What are, what is the trend that you like that you're seeing out there right now, Chris? You know, I, I think what's happening is there's just so much money that's come into the industry, you know, so private equity is flush money's free, you know, large companies like Maersk, um, you know, I did help them on an acquisition not too long ago, you know, large private equity companies are just flush with cash and you know they're they're they have an incentive to grow through acquisition and and kind of kind of the biggest trend is that that's driving what's going to be happening at the beginning of next year the other big thing that's interesting is the the overall performance of some of these companies you know while while everybody's upset about the capacity issues etc you know and they're all pointing fingers all over the place. They're all making a lot of money. So, so you're you're really seeing, I think, at the beginning of next year and, and throughout next year, you're going to see a lot of activity within the industry. You never want to sell your company when you're you're going the wrong direction. So everybody's kind of been mm. going the right direction, and yeah. you know. So, yeah. Well, you know, get- <clears throat> well, I was just going to say, Ron Lentz was on this this show at the end of September, and. What he said to us was that before entering this M&A world, it's very, you know, it's very tempting because there's so much money sloshing around, but you should really know your worth before you put that for sale sign on the house. How do you determine that worth, though? Well, our engagement team, you know, they're all high-end financial guys, so we're digging into their financials, but it's really, it's really kind of going through the process of, you know, having the right buyers out in your network. And, you know, I think Ron was talking to you guys about, you know, EBITDA multiples and things like that, but it's really trying to find the right strategic and cultural fit. So, you know, we can drive the value, you know, one buyer's value may be half of what another bid is, is coming in at. It's, it's basically going to be, you know, looking at what companies fit together and trying to bring those companies you know, to the table with each other, you know, and, and in logistics technology, you know, that's a, that's a trend that's going to be very interesting to watch next year. So you, you have so much growth and booming in that space and so many companies trying to get in and there aren't a lot of platforms for them to acquire because, you know, you know, private equity doesn't typically invest in startups that are burning money. So you're, you're going to see, uh, it's going to see some interesting trends next year in the tech side. Did you pick up on what he said there, Michael Vincent, that that your valuation could double from one company to the next, depending on the offer? 
Um, yeah. What does that say about what's going on right now? Or a lot of is this just fake money that's being thrown around? Is this just like like funny money just because there's so much of it that actual true valuations don't? You hear this about Tesla a lot. People go, how can Tesla be worth like a thousand times more than Toyota? Right? People are always freaking out about that. And maybe those financial models, like the things that people are looking at right now, that's off the table. Those rules are broken, well, right? Yeah, yeah. Like Ford is valued at, or, or Rivian valued at Ford in their initial public offering. Yeah, wild. Yeah, it's really all about the buyer, right? You know, so, you know, if you're if you're going public, you know, you're all about your future projections and, you know, mm -hmm. your key ratios, et cetera. But when you're talking to buyers, it's, you know, what can Maersk do with this company? What can this private equity company? Is there synergy that they can bring together? And it's not just, you know, one buyer might be, you know, you know, double. It might be even a lot more than that. You know, it's just really finding that buyer that really that fits what they're trying to develop growth wise where they can bring synergy into that and they can just really leverage that kind of kind of company to go forward and sometimes though the the owners of these companies aren't aren't looking just to get the highest wire transfer at closing they're also looking for you know where where do my employees and where do my customers fit you know it's you know a lot of the companies that we work with you know they they started with you know two people and they grew great, fantastic companies over 30 years. And they really look at it as kind of their life's worth. So it's not always just about the value as you see these kind of companies come together. With the really large deals, I think it's always about the number, but but you know, we we typically focus on the smaller, mid-sized kind of companies, you know, mm -hmm. those, you know, you know, those kind of companies. So Chris, during during this time as everything is exploding and all these new technologies that are coming out, it's a great time to be in an industry. I've been in it for 34 years. I love love the fact that we're getting all this new tech and all this money investing in and all this attention. Some of these are going to be winners. Some of them are going to be losers. Some of them are riding on the hype that is around, and there's a bit of it around the pandemic and the solutions that are there. How do you help people navigate through that? Now, you're on the sell side, but how do you still navigate through that and decide which are the ones that are going to be the winners or have the best bet of being the winners? Because some of them are going to win and some of them just aren't going to. How do you weave through that type of that murky water? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So, so when I was, you know, when I started, you know, our software company in 1995, our company's called Fountainhead, our product was called CargoWise. I used to have on a, a board, it was kind of kind of funny. I'd have all the people that went out and raised money and um I think I had like 35 companies on that board and we just crossed them out when they ran out of money, you know. So, so there's the winners and losers is the the, the companies that have a good strategy on the technology side and just have a great idea or they just have a great team and and can can build it. You know, the market decides who the winners and losers are. Um and uh you know, but sometimes, you know, the the best product doesn't always win, right? So it's right. about, you know, building the right team, putting the right right story together. I think uh what's happening now is because of the complexity of the kind of issues we're trying to solve, you know, with logistics technology. I think because of the complexity of everything, um you, you know, integrating those things are going to be instead of trying to build one system to do everything. I think the integration work that goes around all of that is going to be interesting. And then the other thing, you know, that's that's fascinating from the from the logistics technology in, in the world that you guys talk about and study is, you know, the digital freight companies, the flex ports, the load smarts, those companies that are trying to come in and, you know, paint themselves as technology companies to their investors you know, but while being freight companies, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's the other, that's the other interesting thing that's happening in, in the space in every sector.
Yeah, we, we see that. We see that a lot. And yeah. um, sometimes it works with great results. And sometimes it's sort of like, you're still kind of a traditional broker. But that, that leads <laughs> yeah. into my question here. Uh, exactly. Is is it all tech, right? Is, is is all the money sloshing towards tech? Or in this in this capacity-constrained worlds are asset values going up and are they more are they starting to become more attractive to invest in you know i i think it's it's warren buffett always said you know when others are greedy you know be fearful when everybody else is fearful be greedy you know typically the in in the MA logistics world you know all the private equity guys have all wanted to be in the non-asset based kind of stuff right so so the values are were always the multiples were always higher in that space but, you know, in the end, you know, the, the freight has to move, right? And the freight has to move on an airline or a truck or a steamship line or a railroad. And, you know, I, I think what's happening and we do do some asset work. We have a couple of projects we're working on right now. I think the multiples in that sector are also increasing because I think the, the money is recognizing, you know, that actually is, is you know, with this capacity space, you know, capacity is king, right? You know, whoever has the capacity, you know, that's why the steamship lines are making so much money right now when they've been losing forever. It's, yeah, for some reason, their stocks all took, all took a hit. It doesn't really make sense. The world is, the world is upside down, Chris. But people uh, who want to make sense of this upside down world, where do I send them to speak more with Logisyn Advisors? So Logisyn is uh, Logistics Plus Synergy. Our website is www logisyn.com uh reach us on that um we're very active on linkedin and you know we do a lot of a lot of you know promotions and things like that but come to our website we'd love to talk to you and uh you know everything is confidential that we do thank you chris we appreciate talking to you thank you chris i appreciate it guys thank you Really, I suspected that assets may be going up in value. I, and I know what he was saying there, that, that they were you used to want to avoid them, right? Because you don't want that on the table. But I think you're also seeing that there's some tremendous value. But again, with the steamship lines, maybe not that huge market value. But then the yeah. inland carriers are all doing great in their earnings. So it doesn't make any sense. Uh, yeah, it, it's, I think it's the multiple at, at sale and investment, right? You know what does make sense? The wall yeah. that heals. Let's take a look. It does. The Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund many years ago created a replica of the wall that travels to communities around the country that we call the wall that heals. This mobile replica really is about taking the names home to communities, large and small, to allow people to have that same kind of healing experience, to come and show their respect, to remember those 58,000 whose names are on the wall, as well as the 2.7 million Vietnam veterans who served who returned home. It's a chance to look back and pay their respects to those who answered the call of service to their country, especially those who made the ultimate sacrifice. Well, wow, what a great, what a great project. And I want to thank yeah, Susan Paul for arranging these two gentlemen to come on the show for us. It is Chris Gunnamorson. Uh, I hope I didn't what? massacre that one. He's the vice president yeah, of sales. And, <laughs> he's vice president of sales and marketing at Razor International USA. And we got Tim Tetz. He's the director of outreach at the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund. Gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks yeah, for, thanks having, for us. having us. So, uh, Tim, the, the wall that heals is pretty amazing. So before we get into the landing gear and what Razor's done and all that, just tell us a little bit about it and your involvement with it. It looked really cool. What You drive to different locations and you set that up and it, and it goes on a truck. Tell us about it. So the wall that heals is a three-quarter scale replica of the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. We've been on the road since 1996 
And that allows us to bring a full-scale replica of the wall and a traveling museum into communities from coast to coast to help promote the healing and recognition of the Vietnam generation and allow communities and especially students and those who might not have been alive during the Vietnam War to better understand the war and the service and sacrifice of the men and women uh, who made uh, the Vietnam War uh, what it was. Yeah, so... uh Tim, going through that, uh, I appreciate what you guys are doing. My father-in-law spent four years in a bamboo cage over there, as a matter of fact. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and is still very, very active with the, with the veterans. So, appreciate what you guys are are, are doing there. Uh, two uh, two questions for you. One is: it move anywhere without motorcycles around it? And and two, talk a little bit more, please, about that the mobile museum because I was not aware that that was part of it. I always hear about the mobile wall, but I don't hear about the museum that much. Can you talk a little bit about what you learned there? Absolutely. So first off, it, the entry into any hometown is the long lost uh, homecoming that these men and women deserve. So we we have partners with the trucking industry and those partners help haul us from community to community, sometimes as many as a thousand miles away. And on Tuesday, as we enter into a community, those partners will, that truck and the trailer will meet up with anywhere between a dozen to 300 motorcycles. And they will take the last uh, 30 to 45 miles and have that parade into town where people can gather alongside the road and cheer it on and welcome the veterans home. And, and the names are on those panels. Uh, now, the, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial Fund is the organization that built the wall in Washington, D.C., and we are one of four or five traveling walls that travel the country, but we're the only wall uh, associated with uh, the wall here in Washington, D.C., and because of our relationship with the National uh, Park Service and the memorial here, we're able to travel with some of the 400,000 items that have been left behind and make that trailer into a full multimedia exhibit. So showing the names and photographs of those who came uh, from that region that we're showing the wall in, uh, showing videos about the program and the war, and showing some of those items that people have left behind that are so thought-provoking and tear-provoking. Well, well, hey, uh, and something just awesome happened here. You made that truck's life easier, that trucker's life easier. Chris did over here by working with you guys to put this product on. Let's take a look at the product first, and we'll talk about it. We have a quick, we have a quick clip. Okay. Your semi-trailer this way to diminish risk of shoulder and back injuries and improve productivity. The new Razor Drive for landing legs is the safe, secure, and reliable way to separate and reconnect your rig. Razor's independent power supply ensures the drive unit can raise and lower the landing legs with a simple touch of a button or from your Bluetooth smart device. To ensure user-friendly operation and help maximize your personal safety, install the new Razor Drive today. For more information, visit RazorInternationalUSA.com. Chris looks pretty cool. Some people might be like, hey, that's just a little thing, awesome. but I, it makes it makes life a lot easier. Talk a little bit about Razor, Chris, and introduce yourself to us. Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks for having us on. We are a company that's uh, originally based out of Australia. You may have noticed kind of the Australian flavor on that video with the road train. Um, been there for 20 years. My partner and I are introducing this product into the North American market. And, uh, you know, one of the opportunities we saw was to work with the wall that heals. And that's a, uh, an organization that's close to me. I'm of an age where that was a big part of my life growing up. Um, I'm not quite old enough to have been drafted in at the time. And uh, it was interesting to look at the timelines on the museum aspect of, of the trailer. 
Um, but we're just glad that we can help them out. Uh, we think every trailer should have our equipment on it to uh, to raise and lower the landing legs. It's just instead of cranking it. I mean, when you think about it, a few years back, all the windows and all the cars, you had a manual crank and, and you just don't ever see that anymore. And uh, we just thought that would be helpful to them. And we're glad that we could uh, we could offer our assistance. Yeah, it's great stuff, Chris. I, I I like the product myself, and I like the story of how you guys got involved with that. The, the landing gear on that truck needed some work to be done, and you guys heard about it, right? Can you talk about that and how you guys got in contact with them? Yeah, we had heard um, through some industry contacts that we had that uh, they're always looking for some help, and we reached out and found out that they needed some help uh, in this particular area, That's which is very common on a lot of trailers. And uh, we reached out. They're very glad to, uh, to have us help. We partnered with our... Uh, uh, dealer partner in Denver, uh, Ainsworth Trailer Repair. They uh, provided the labor to install it, and we got them going uh, just before they set up. Um, it's really something to to uh, see the procession that they do into. Uh, in, our, in our case, it was Brighton, Colorado, and uh, that was quite a quite a moving experience. And we were glad to be part of that. Very cool. We have a quick video here too, showing one of the drivers driving the truck. Let's roll that one, then we'll talk a little bit about the men who move this. The pride that you see. When we went into San Dimas, the kids were all along the streets with their American flags. That always chokes me up because I know what it is to serve this country. And we as Americans sometimes don't understand the cost of war. Hate the war all you want, but don't hate the warrior. Wow. Powerful message there. Yeah. My, my dad was a Vietnam vet as well, Mike yeah. Vincent. Um, let me ask you about this, though, Tim. So who is the driver of these trucks? Is it one dedicated guy? Do you have a team? It looks like this is uh, quite an operation. How many people are going out to the wall? So we usually have uh, a driver that picks us up on Sunday and drives us into the next stop on Tuesday. Uh, the companies uh, get con in contact with us starting in January when they see the upcoming year schedule. And they reach out to us and say, hey, we'd really like to do the leg from, uh, say, Kansas to Brighton, Colorado. We then take a look at the logistics, try to work with each of the companies to get them exposure. And then they select their drivers. Often those drivers are veteran drivers. Sometimes those drivers have driven with us for multiple years. And I can tell you, it is always fantastic to see a driver in that machismo that is a truck driver um, walk up and understand, oh, this is another load. But then after they get done with that escort, the tears that are in their eyes and how moved they have been uh, in taking this load in its final uh, 40 miles. I'll bet that is the case. And Tim, what about the what about the setup and teardown of of the wall when you're moving it into and out of a place? Who's doing that work? Do you get a lot of volunteers working on on that type of stuff, or do you you guys employ? No, absolutely. We have two staffers that uh, come out to a site and they arrive on Tuesday for the escort, and on Wednesday, in the span of six to eight hours, they lead forty to fifty volunteers who have never seen the wall to set it up in a park or, uh, you know, on an athletic field somewhere. That takes the six to eight hours to set it up and the three to four hours on Sunday to take it down. And then those volunteers across the 24 hours a day from Wednesday until we take it down on Sunday are there at the wall to help engage with visitors and everyone amongst the thousands of people that come to visit us in each community. Hey, Chris, we have um, Operation Lifesaver on the show quite a few times, and we always ask them, how do trucks get stuck on the, the, the train tracks? So is this, and they, they've told us, they're like, oh, a lot of times it's they, they've left the landing gear down or the landing gear fell oh, in yeah. transit. So is there a safety aspect to these automated Razor landing gears too? And A, that you would know that it's up before you even move? Do you have that kind of visibility? 
Actually, we do. Our newest version is Bluetooth enabled. We have a, a phone app that can tell you the status if your leg is all the way up or all the way down um, yeah, as you're going. That's especially important, we found, with expediters. They can get in situations where they've got legs um, underneath the back of their box on their truck uh, to stabilize it when they're being loaded with a forklift. But they get into loading dock situations where they can't get back there to uh, to lower the landing gear. So, you know, they can hit the button, lower it. They can't see it, but they can tell that it's down and then they can tell that it's back up. Um, also, we have safeguards in there that you can't raise or lower the gear when you're in motion. That makes sense. So, Chris, let me ask you this as well. You know, we talk about truckload all of the time, and we're talking about this in the version of truckload. Do you have this in, in LTL around the, the big distribution centers or just commercial distribution centers that may not be LTL? you got all these yard horses running around. They're raising and lowering landing gear several hundred times during an eight-hour shift. Are you into that market as well? Well, you know, with, with the uh, in the yard, they don't need to raise and lower the landing gear. They just you know, get under the trailer, pick it up with the airbags and move it and, and drop it down. Yeah. Um, what we're really finding is, is the fleets like it um, to take care of their drivers, to take care of their people. Um, I hear stories when we came in, it's, well, why are you interested in, in implementing our product? And they'll tell a story of somebody had the, uh, the jack handle, you know, buck back and, and hit him in the chin and they could have, you know, easily lost mm. teeth or, or people that say, yeah, all the years of doing this, you know, I'm thinking of retiring because my shoulder's all torn up. And maybe you can keep that guy going for a couple, three, four more years. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of stuff that I'm hearing, you know, to keep people going, to keep people safe. Well, Tim, fresh new landing gear on the trunk. I saw that fresh new wrap. It looks it looks excellent. Where is where's the wall that going next? And how do people who want to visit the wall that heals and pay tribute, how do they find it? Uh, well, the wall that heals is being set up today in Sulphur Springs. It's our second to last stop for the 2021 season. Uh, we'll be in Murfreesboro, Tennessee for Veterans Day weekend, and then we'll wrap it up for this uh, season and be back out on the road in March of next year for another 30 stops. Um, to be uh, interested in visiting The Wall That Heals, you can go to thewallthatheals.org, O-R-G, uh, or if you're interested in hauling The Wall That Heals, uh, you can uh, go to haulthewall.org, and both of those get to our website and get us in touch with uh, this and and again, I think it's more than just haulers. It's great to have community partners uh, such as Razor Lifts who recognizes, hey, we have equipment needs as well. And they reach out to us and, and come to us with a solution that really makes our life easier. And it's the little things that many of our visitors never see uh, that make this program so great. Very cool. And that's not too far from us, Michael Vincent. No, it isn't. Veterans Day. You may have to head over to the wall. We might have to. Like, you, right you, will you road. be there, Tim? Uh, I won't be there. I've got a teammate who will be there, but I'll tell him to take good care of you if you're there. Cool. And and uh, Chris, where do people go to learn more about Razor if they liked what they saw about the landing gear? They want to make their driver's life easier and safer. Well, first of all, coming up in the next few days, we'll be uh, participating in the Accelerate Conference with Women in Trucking in Dallas. And uh, that's always a good conference for us. And you can find us on RazorInternationalUSA.com. Wow. Very good. Hey, Gentlemen, thanks for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it, and I think this is a great cause that you both work on here. Yeah, it's excellent. Thanks for letting us uh, share our stories. Cool. Take it easy. Well, hey, Michael Vince, yesterday was Tuesday. You know what happens at 6 p.m. on Tuesdays? The newsletter comes out. The newsletter comes out. So let's go inside it. You've got mail. Ah, love that sound. 
like home. You ever have like a white noise machine for your, your kids? I, I have one for myself. You just have like a, a modem repeating? Just like a modem connecting? Uh, it's not a modem. But oh, okay. <laughs> what about, uh, well, you know what's a good one too? You ever been in someone's house where they don't change the battery in their smoke detector? And yeah, it beeps like every, and you're like, how do you live here like this? <laughs> they don't even hear it. They anymore. don't even hear it anymore. No, what is so wrong with you people? Put new batteries in there. That's <laughs> yeah. not in the newsletter. Get a new battery. That's not in the newsletter. So we've been talking about all these containers, though, right? You're yeah. wondering like all these containers, all the empties. It gets confusing. Yeah. I've, I've even heard people are like, wait, all the containers are empty now. They're not even sending goods to the United States. It's all ruse. <laughs> no, no, people. There's there's so much reporting going on. People are getting confused. There's full containers coming in on boats, right? Yes. Those get emptied. But there's too many containers on the yard, so it's hard to bring all the empties back. So those are empties. They're two separate things. It's bi-directional that we're talking about here. Yes. But I think the scale of steamship lines is something that not everybody understands either. Just how gigantic a 10,000 TEU vessel is itself. So yeah. in the newsletter, did a segment talking about the scale of vessels. We have a great picture that shows off that height. Let's look at this here. That is inside a steamship right there. That is 17 boxes stacked on top of each other. What you're looking at, Michael Vincent, is 34 TEUs. And yeah. you might go, how does 17... In one stack. Yeah, and how does 17 equal 34? Well, here's the thing. So if you look <laughs> near the bottom, there's the 20s. And one of the reasons a lot of times you don't want to get a 20-foot container is that's where you go. Uh, you go yeah, at the bottom. you do, you do. Yeah, because yeah. of the structural integrity. Yeah. But, so each of those 20s, right, those are those are considered one TEU. That's one 20-foot yeah. equivalent unit. Right. You can fit two to a row, so 17 up, 34 TEUs total. We're all following along, that ten, makes sense? 10, 7, 7, yeah. yeah. Got it. container math right yep. there. Got it. Carry oh. the one, yeah. Height on that thing. So each container, 8.6 feet tall, right? Looking yeah. at 146 feet tall in that monolithic tower. Even taller, because I, I didn't even include spacers. If you include spacers, you're at least over 150 feet. Yeah, right. So what do you get, like two or three of those stacks? In a, in a, in a... <laughs> no, no. I mean, in, uh, in, well, in the world's <laughs> biggest container ship, when you're talking about the Ever Ace, the Ever Ace is the sister to the Ever Given. It's barely bigger than the Ever Given. You saw the Ever Given. You know the massive scale of that stuck in the Suez Canal. Yeah, it's the size of the Empire think, State I Building. I think a lot of people are familiar, right? Yeah, it's the size of the Empire State <laughs> Building. But the, the amount of stacks, so you saw that giant stack, 705 of those what? would fit inside the Ever Given. <laughs> It's Isn't it? That's crazy. It's insane. <laughs> 705 of them. You look at that picture that you showed, you can't believe that that's inside a ship, unless you've worked there before. I explain this to people all the time. My wife begs me to take her to a port. She wants to see one of these ships. I'm going to take her down and maybe get on one of these things. They're unbelievable. If you want to go inside the ship, there's a great YouTube channel by a, yes. uh, a merchant marine, U.S. merchant marine, Brian Boyle. It's on mm -hmm. YouTube. Just Google uh, Brian Boyle YouTube. It'll come up easily. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to the show, too, if you want to click on it. But what he does is he does a day in the life of a, of a crew member. He, yeah. he he's did one that was, uh, you can almost go to sleep to it. It's just two hours of, like, the engine humming on the boat. That's a very sitting. cool one. Yeah, it's just, yeah, just going, sitting. plowing through the waves. It's a lot of waiting. It's a lot of waiting around when you're, when you're on these vessels. Yeah, and they don't eat that bad, do they? They don't eat that. No, I was seeing the guys. Did you see them on the deck? They were yeah. cooking up. They were barbecuing. They were yeah. having a great time. Yeah. The uh, the rooms too. A lot of them have an ensuite bathroom. I mean, it's very sort of Spartan living on there. Most of that space is for sale. It's dedicated to all the cargoes sure and TVs and containers that you put on there. Um, also, I mean, I should put it aside because there's always going to be that one person in the comments who goes, well, what about high cubes or what about bulk containers? Uh, yeah, sure. But they're not in that picture. So, and I don't think the layman needs to, to know to understand what the scale, the exact particularities of, uh, yeah. of every single container out there. Yeah. Speaking of big things, how about the second biggest Lego set? Christmas holiday season's coming up. You know, there's been tons of articles that say get your Christmas shopping done early. Well, how much earlier you can get can you get than getting in line at a pre-order at midnight for this one here? Show up this Lego Titanic. 
you want this thing, a lot of man children, myself, maybe you uh, maybe so, you have seen your kids building <laughs> Legos all during the pandemic. You finally want one for yourself. You want this $630 bad boy that's over 9,000 pieces. Again, the second biggest Lego set in history, the, uh, the, the Lego Titanic. Well, guess what? I was in that line. I was there at midnight. Yeah. They put you in a queue. I got, I did get the thing. Yeah. I did get one. However, next morning, back ordered. All of them sold out. So yeah. what I learned too from everyone else who ordered one is they all got these back ordered notices. And yeah. I, I don't think Lego anticipated how many like they did not dads realize that there were that many dooners out there. there that many dads who just wanted their <laughs> Lego Titanic. So on let, the me, let me ask you this though. Back yeah. in the day when we were lining up to do stuff, you know, you had to you know camped out in front of a in front of a Best Buy yeah. or something like that. Did you camp out in your living room with your computer just to relive those old days when you used to camp out for, you know, Aerosmith tickets? You did. Stuff? It was like you know, I had to do the same thing for the PS5 when yeah. I when I did that and I was up to like three in the morning. You have to camp out on your phone. Yeah. And some people have a phone and a laptop and an iPad and they're and they're you know they're causing even more congestion right. by trying to get into the nodes all those right. different ways. Right. But I was in there and and I got it. it. Wasn't impossible to get, but it is now. And if you go on eBay, they're thirteen hundred and fifty dollars, Michael Vincent. So. Nice. Bought a couple. Maybe you want to resell it. If you bought two, you could sell one. It'll pay for both of them. You know what the largest one was? Lego? The, it's a map, and the largest oh, okay. one kind of cheats because a lot of it is just little dots that make up the map. Oh, okay. These are actually more formed Lego pieces, so yeah. I would say that this really is the biggest one. I just one. wondered because it's huge, and I was thinking second largest. What was the first? Was it's like a four one and a half feet. It's four and a half feet long. I know this thing's massive. Here, here's another funny thing: the cost of it, six hundred thirty dollars. Yeah. That is only slightly more than the cost of a third class ticket to sell on the Titanic when you adjust it for inflation. Ah. So which would you rather do? <laughs> which would if I? You had the chance. Well, I, in, knowing in hindsight, I think yeah. I'd rather be on the, uh, I'd rather have the Lego than be in the sinking <laughs> ship. Yeah, Not absolutely. that many people survive. Especially if you're just, you know, with, what's her name, wouldn't let, let you on the, the door. She wouldn't let you on the damn with door. Jack, she's like, no, I don't think so, Jack. I stay, don't think so, Jack. Stay just there. hang out there, man. He listened well, could to you kick too. a little harder? We need to get drifting towards North America. Speaking of those PS5s, PS5 is incoming, but not here in the United States, at least not yet. The Sony has chartered three jumbo jets to, uh, they call it, what are they calling? Operation Santa Special. Ooh. Bringing jumbo jets of PS5s to, uh, wow. to get into the UK in time for the holidays. Um, you're not in the UK, going to be hard to get one that way. They've been hard to get ever since that initial pre-order. I do have some advice for you this holiday season, though. If you're looking for that Titanic or you're looking for a PS5, there's okay. an account on Twitter called Wario64. Wario, W-A-R-I-O, 64. Okay. Follow it on Twitter. Click the bell. You'll get notifications every time something comes up. And if you're really serious about trying to get one of these things, you got to be competitive. And the second that alert comes in, you got to get on that site. And I would also recommend logging into those sites in advance. So having your Best Buy in order, all that, your Apple Pay, so you can get in and out quick. Because the other thing that happens, a lot of times you get this stuff in your shopping cart, as I'm sure some of you know. Then you go to check out, and then you get the error message that it's not there anymore. Oh, that happens all the time. That's so aggravating. We got one more. <laughs> we got one more. Put this picture up. So my wife is at the Barnes & Nobles oh, at uh, Hamilton Place in Chattanooga yesterday, and she sees this sign. Like, can we zoom in on that sign? Is there any way you guys can zoom in on that? I can read it for you. Uh, yeah, well, it's, uh, you go ahead. It says, it. we are temporarily out of hand soap due to shipping delays. We apologize for the inconvenience. Now, <clears throat> folks, I know that we're relaxing COVID restrictions with masks and things like that and social distancing, yeah. but like, can we at least can we keep the soap? Can we keep this up? And here's the thing, too. Here's the really frustrating thing about this. <laughs> yes, there's a supply chain crisis, and we're trying to communicate that to people. And there are delays, and there's delays across a lot of things. But this isn't one of them. Just no. because you couldn't get it through your R-Mark supplier doesn't mean you can't go down the street to Target and get some soap to put it in there to keep <laughs> your staff sanitized and the people shopping in the store. You know, this isn't the supply chain's fault. This is corporate bureaucracy.
Democracy's fault! <laughs> right wing Fight the man! Subscribe to the Weather Truck Newsletter at FreightWaves.com slash WTT. It's free. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Dooner. Find him at Vincent the Dude. Tell me to be. Peace and love. Spread it everywhere, my friends. Peace and love.